Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, everybody, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, and today we're going to be continuing our study in uh, in the book of First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter six, coming to the end of First Timothy, and today we're going to take on a couple of a couple of difficult uh, subjects um, that are uh, somewhat controversial in. Uh, and and theologians really don't agree in all points about these passages and so we're going to do our best with them today Um, the first one beginning in verse one of chapter six of first first timothy paul is writing to timothy talking to him and and giving him some instructions some order about um, how slaves and masters are to interact in the church, in in the body of Christ. Um, And so he begins, verse 1, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Now, first thing I want to say is that, um, you know, we acknowledge that, Christianity arose in a social setting where slavery was common, and uh, there were, you know, over sixty million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time that Paul was writing this. Um, some of those slaves held positions of privilege; other ones were um, mistreated terribly. Um, I think it's important for us to remember here um, that the Bible didn't doesn't command slavery; um, it doesn't. Doesn't condone slavery, um, but it it does um, it does permit slavery and it regulates it. I think Paul wasn't advocating for slavery; he was just acknowledging um, that it existed because of the sinful nature of people, and and so um, Paul was was giving similar kind of instructions as to those that we see. Uh, in the Old Testament and even some of the things Jesus said about divorce. Um, in the things that have been that said about divorce in the Bible, God isn't condoning divorce. He's not preferring divorce. He's not, he's not saying that divorce is something that is, is a blessing or, or even something that's, that's, that's honoring to him. But what he was saying is if, if people are going to do this thing, then there are ways we must act in it and around it in order to represent God and his people um, and as his people and to reflect his character. Um, and the fact of the matter is about uh, the issue of slavery that <clears throat> Jesus nor Paul nor others in the New Testament called for a violent revolution against slavery. And at another time, we can always talk about the failing of that, and 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 was that you know was that an issue of a failure? But what Paul really focuses on here is um, the transformation that's brought about by the gospel. And I think what we can say about slavery when when we look on the whole is 
that the transformation that's brought about by the gospel effectively destroyed um, the institution of slavery or has in, in societies in, uh, has destroyed the institution of slavery. Um, and, and, it, and, and when the gospel is really taking root, it, it, it shakes and cracks the foundation of things like racism and greed and class hatred and, and, and those things that, that, that are, um, that, that lead to people being enslaved. And, and so ultimately, um, what Paul is saying is he's given a, a bit of a different ethic here. We think back to the story of William Wilberforce, and we won't go into his whole, you know, the whole story of his life. But I mean, Wil- Wilberforce um, b- began as a as the the rich son of a, a, mer- a merchant who went to Cambridge and lived as a hedonist, and then he left Cambridge and he went to his father's business, and he was bored, so he went to Parliament and. Five years into his time as a as a minister of parliament, he uh, he was radically converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and ultimately that that transformation, uh, that change in in heart and mind, and that change in purpose uh, led him to uh, to purpose um, and 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 set his life toward. Uh, the abolition of slavery in the British Empire, and we know that that happened progressively. It ha- happened slowly, but that God used William Wilberforce, um, and in 1833, just as Wilberforce died, um, Parliament established finally slavery. Um, and where did Wilberforce's um, you know where where did the zeal come from to to use his life um, to abolish slavery? It came from a radical, selfless pursuit of of Jesus. Um, and so the, the 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 church made up of people who are sold out to Jesus ultimately have been those who have 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 destroyed slavery over the years um the the problem is that uh, many times in the church we're we're not living in such a way and we're not calling people um, to a gospel obedience that tears those things down we're not valuing the imago day and and treating people all people as as they are created in the image of god and that we in the church Fail in these things uh, because we're not really we're not really living out the gospel as you know as Christ has intended, and so. Um, but the thing Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the way that masters and slaves conduct themselves in the body of Christ, and we have to remember that this is in in this church that that Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. It wouldn't have been uncommon for a master and a slave to go to church together. It wouldn't have been uncommon for a slave to be an elder. Um, and in that case, the master was being expected to submit to the slave's spiritual leadership. Uh, and that kind of radical thinking that was going on inside the church wasn't happening outside the church. And it and it ultimately destroyed the, the, the foundations and, and the power of slavery 
um, because uh, because the church looked more like the kingdom of God than it did the world around it. As Christians, we sh- we should use our our power to reflect gospel transformation and to bring about um, the values of, of the kingdom of God. And, and I think the message Paul's given here is that Christians under authority should reflect the kingdom of God even when we're under the authority of somebody who doesn't love Jesus. And, and all the while, um, when we're doing that, we're shaping the structures of society um, to fl- reflect the kingdom of God by the way that we act. Um, same like when we're in positions of authority, uh, we should should walk out that authority in ways that reflect the kingdom of God and show people that we love Jesus. And that's what Paul was was calling upon them to do here. Now, um, I, I think the you know and, and and why does he say this? He says so that the name of God and His doctrine will not be blasphemed. In other words, the big the big E on the eye chart here is that even when we're living in the midst of something like slavery, if we live in a way that we live unto Jesus, um, that we put kingdom values on display, that we that we strain into and lean into personal holiness, um, then then ultimately we will do things that will put the kingdom of God on display, that'll that'll point to the gospel and ultimately will lead people to follow Jesus. He also has a word here and he says, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them, the masters, because they're brethren, but rather serve them. Uh, those who are bef- bef- benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. In other words, he's saying, don't use the, the fact that you have a Christian master as a slave um, to don't exploit that. Don't be lazy. Don't not do your job. Don't not carry out your responsibility. Don't don't trade on the fact that you that you that you realize that the person that has authority over you um, will give grace to you. Now, one of the things I think that um, that we also want to bear in mind here, this passage a lot of times is used for to talk about how we ought to treat each other as employees and employers. Um, and I just want to kind of speak a warning against that. I, I don't. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about um, an institution where people are not free to make decisions for themselves. He's he's talking about an inst- a, a situation where people can't, you know, quit a job and leave a job and go somewhere else, and where where people's very lives are in the hands of others. And so, I think it's a mistake to to reduce what Paul's saying down to. Um, to boil it down to the way we act in our workplace. Can we find things about how when we're in a position of authority or in a position of submission about how to act as a believer? Absolutely, and I think that's universally applicable. But let's don't reduce this passage too far. What Paul's saying is when you're in a situation where, where you're backed in a corner and, and you have no options and your life is not your own, still uh, live like Jesus. Live like a citizen of the kingdom of God. He's saying when you're in a position where, where you have sway over people and, and where you control their destiny, live like Jesus. Live like someone who's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And, and and he's and he's 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 giving that extreme 
to to really show the universality of the gospel and and our need for transformation by the spirit and our need to press in to the goal of 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 making the world more um more like and and to reflect um our citizenship in heaven more than the reality of the world that's around us well then he he shifts gears and he talks about then warning those who misuse the word of god and so in verses three through five he says if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words even the words of our lord jesus christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness he is proud knowing nothing but obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy strife strife reveling evil suspicions useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself and so paul says is, is is reminding Timothy, and this is almost like a, a junk drawer kind of set of verses here where it's like Paul saying, hey, one more thing, Timothy, one more thing. And 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 these are maybe only only loosely connected. But he says, he says, Timothy, look, pay attention. If somebody is bending and misusing the word of God, um, if if they're twisting the word of God, if they don't even if they don't even respect the things that Jesus said, and into the to the doctrines, the biblical doctrines, which in in the words here, which accords with godliness. If they don't if they don't if they don't respect the the obvious biblical doctrines that help us to know what it looks like to reflect uh, Christ, then they're prideful. Then they they don't really know anything. It doesn't matter if they can twist their arguments well. It doesn't matter if um, if they seem to know good theology. But really, you know, there are people, and and he's warning that there are going to be people that are going to be in the church that are going to be in our denominations that are honestly they're obsessed with disputes. They're obsessed with arguments over words. All they want to do is fight. They have a pugilistic spirit. And Paul says, look, be careful because they function not out of a spirit of godliness, not out of a spirit of, 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 of straining to be more like Jesus, not, not out of a spirit of respecting the Imago Dei and loving people the way Jesus loves them, but he says out of envy and strife and out of, out of a suspicious heart and out of out of out of useful, useless quarreling and and deal making, that those people have corrupt minds, and and that they absolutely are impoverished of truth, and that they see godliness as a way to get ahead. And what does what does Paul say about people like that? He says, "Get away from them." He says, "From." such withdraw yourself so so how do we know how do we know who these people are where they're the people that that blatantly deny the the obvious and evident things in god's word they or they ignore things they try to explain them away they try to use things like cultural context to say well well god's word doesn't mean anymore today what it what it what it used to mean 
that the world's a different place, and so we have to look at this differently. That they only want to they only want to respect part of God's word. One of the one of the reasons I love being in churches where 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 pastors preach in in an expository way the word of God is when they're moving book by book, verse by verse through the word of God. It, it, we're accountable to all of God's word. We're not skipping around just to to talk about the parts and to take apart the parts and to understand the parts that are easy. We're we're looking at the whole counsel of God's word. And he says, "Look, there are some of these some of these folks that are going to deny and explore, ignore and explain away and and God's word in in ways that they're going to twist the word of God um, and they're going to use it like it's their own toy." Um, and, and they're going to use it in, in debates and, and disputes. And, and so, you know, people can, can say things that sound like the truth. And, you know, I've heard the saying that the, that the most dangerous lie is the one that's the, most, that's the closest to the truth. When there's just a little bit that's askew or a little bit that's wrong. Um, and in this case, what Paul's saying is, is, is he's reminding Timothy that those things that are that are bent and wrong and depart from the obvious word of God and 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 the and the plain doctrines of God that it doesn't matter if those things are said by people who have memorized the scriptures and seem to use the scriptures well it doesn't matter if those are people who who seemingly surround them things with, themselves with things that sound true it doesn't matter if 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 these people have a grasp of God's word or a curiosity or an interest in it, if they're not submitting to it, then they're dangerous. They're proud. They know nothing, and they ultimately um, will drag us down as well. And so and so, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stay away from them. You know, Paul talks about he uses this phrase endless and needless discourse discourses. Um, the Greek word there literally is is like rubbing up against one another, or something like two sheep rubbing up against each other in in a pen where they're where they're sort of packed in and too close to each other, um, and and that they're literally rubbing each other raw and, and and like spreading infection. That's the that's the essence of the word here. And and what Timothy, what Paul's telling Timothy is when you leave people in and, and leave them unchallenged and leave them in the church when they're when they're sowing this sort of evil stuff, what it's gonna it's gonna spread, it's gonna rub people raw spiritually, and it's ultimately gonna 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 spread spread infection in the body of Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy, don't try to tolerate them or manage a relationship with them. He says, try to get away from them. Now, verse 6, 7, and 8, last part of the maybe the junk drawer here of things that, that, that Paul's saying to Timothy is he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, he moves on and he says, because we, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out, and having food and clothing with these things... Um, you know, I shall be content. Paul, you know, Paul knew of this kind of contentment firsthand. 
his testimony in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says, Now that I speak, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned that I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things, verse 13, through Christ who strengthens me. And so Paul his own testimony in Philippians is he says, look, I've been in places where I've I've been wealthy and I've been in abundance and I've had everything I've needed. I've been in places where I've been destitute. I've been imprisoned. I've been in the worst situations that you can imagine. I've 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 had more food to eat, more food than I could eat, and I've been in other times where I've been where I've suffered hunger. And and he said, what I figured out is that the situation and the circumstance that I find myself in is not the thing that will give me contentment. He said, what I, and, and so the verse that we sometimes take out of context, verse 13, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he says is, is, is as long as I'm pursuing Christ, it doesn't matter what I have, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, um, I can live and I can be content because, because I have Jesus. And, you know, what a countercultural message. In a world where we hear that if we just have something, if we just have that next thing, if we just have that next promotion or that right house or live in that right place or that that you know that desirable car or whatever that thing is, if we if we just if we just have something or surround ourselves with the right circumstances, that we'll be happy and content. And Paul is saying, no, um, we find contentment when when we pursue Jesus and 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 when we prefer him and then he you know he kind of presses a little further in that in verses 9 and 10 he says but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now here he talks about the desire for riches. He doesn't talk about wealth. And so this isn't this isn't to say that somehow that that people that have um, have fewer resources are more godly. Now what he says is when your when your life is set on and and your affections are set on the per, on the pursuit of of wealth, then then ultimately you're you're not going to find contentment. Ultimately, what you're going to find is a lot of difficulty and a lot of evil, and and that and that the root of all of that is that you're pursuing and idolizing something that's less than. But he says those and and so so by you know by logic. He's saying, look, if you if you don't succumb to this temptation, if you don't place your life on trying to conduct con, construct your own circumstances, but if you trust Jesus in the circumstances that you find yourself in, and you pursue Jesus above all else, not the things that you believe will bring you contentment, that ultimately um, that that that's the secret. That's the secret to joy and contentment. And so, um, 
you know, can you be godly and rich? According to Psalm 62.10, you can. It says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. So the question is not how much we have, how much wealth we've amassed, what we have or what we don't have. Um, the question is, is our preoccupation on Jesus or is it on what we have or what we don't have? And, and Paul's just saying there's folly in, in, in preoccupying ourselves with things that are not Christ. Hope today's been helpful to you. I hope this has been encouraging to you. Uh, as we continue to walk through the things that the Apostle Paul had wrote to the young preacher Timothy in, at the church at Ephesus, but so much of this is is of, of direct application to us today. Um, we love you. We're thankful for you. Thankful that you join us here on the Defender Bible Study. Um, we love to share uh, this teaching with our staff, and and we're thankful that we have an opportunity to be able to spend time and visit with you and to share these things with you. We'd ask for you to pray for us um, here at Lifeline, and we would love to pray for you as well. And and so you can find us at lifelinechild.org or on all the the, the social media platforms at Lifeline Child. Um, please let us know how we can serve you, how we can pray for you, um, and just know that we're thankful for you, uh, and we pray that God will richly bless you this week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music